any time a baby gets sick or something comes up that the hospital's not quite sure about, they want to put them into NICU. What hospital, what protocols do they have? Those all will play a factor in whether your baby would get sent to the NICU or could stay with you. What are the concerns about mom and baby being separated? Hi, I'm Jacqueline Carmen, and I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor. And I'm Ruth Green, an international birth doula. And this is the Having a Baby in China podcast. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. The views expressed here are the personal opinions of individuals and do not necessarily reflect any official stance or recommendation by having a baby in China. Hey, Jacqueline, it's good to see you. Hey, good to see you too, Ruth. How's things going? Uh, good. I'm finally feeling healthy. <laughs> oh, yay. As of like three days ago, and I'm really excited. I think I tell just about everybody, like, I'm finally over it. I finally feel normal again. And I'm excited about traveling up to see you next week. Yay. Yeah. We're coming up on the Chinese New Year or the Lunar New Year. And I do want to apologize for any fireworks you may hear. <laughs> They are going off as I speak. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So... Maybe you won't hear them, but if you do, I apologize. It's just everyone is so excited to be moving on and starting a new year. A new season post everybody having COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because there hasn't been a lot of fireworks the last few years. They've been much more regulated. But this year we have a smattering of them every single night since the Western New Year's Eve. Same here. And the Lunar New Year's Eve isn't until January 21st. So we are recording on January 11th. So got another couple weeks of this. <laughs> yep. It's good. I like the fireworks. Yeah. I don't know why. It makes me happy. I'm thankful that my kids, they're not bothered by it. They're not, you know, they'll go to bed. Mm -hmm. They'll sleep through it. But I do know and understand like other people and their kids just it, it can be scary and they get woken up. Yes. I was going to say the same thing. I have a friend with a small baby that they've been struggling with. Baby waking up really scared like every single time. And they live a lot closer to where a lot of the fireworks go off. So it's a every night issue for them. So it's much harder if you have younger kids. If you're listening and you're struggling with this, our hearts go out to you because we've been there. It is, it is yes. frustrating. <laughs> well, tonight we wanted to talk about the instances when a mom and a baby may be separated and that might happen at birth and that might happen later but specifically to a mom who desires to breastfeed how she can maintain the supply or establish the supply if it happens from birth or maintain the supply if they're separated later and how you can kind of help baby adjust back to breastfeeding. So what are some scenarios that a mother and baby would be separated either from birth or later? Well, I think we were most recently talking about this because we were seeing it a lot with COVID. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, as things progressed, most hospitals were allowing mom and baby to stay together. Mm -hmm. But it has been the practice for the last three years that a mom and a baby would be separated if the mother was COVID positive. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we started discussing it. But of course, there's a myriad of different reasons. Yeah. What are some that you've run into? Too many that I can't even list. <laughs> exactly. But 
I think any time that a baby needs to go to a NICU, yes, for whatever reason, maybe there's breathing issues or like there's some concern that the doctors have and the baby has to go to the NICU. The majority of hospitals around China do not allow parents into the NICU. And so there will be a time of separation where mom and baby cannot be together. I think the most common reason that I see is actually due to jaundice. Mm-hmm. And being someone who comes from a country that has has an emphasis on keeping mom and baby together, this is one of the most frustrating things because in most cases of jaundice, there's nothing that actually requires mom and baby to be separate. Yeah, I think in many countries, you would bring the blue light into the room where the mom's staying or mm-hmm. something. And they have a new they have a new technology now where there's like a light blanket. And so yes. baby can even just be on the mother's chest, you know, skin to skin and the blanket on top. And so they can get that phototherapy done, not interrupting any breastfeeding or separation from baby and mom. Yeah. And then kind of compounding the issue of the Chinese hospitals wanting to put baby into NICU for jaundice levels. In my experience, they also start therapy a lot earlier than they would in other countries. So in other words, the blood tests might come back borderline And it might be treated in a different way in other countries. But in China, it seems like in my experience with my clients, not my own personal, thankfully, I never had a baby with high enough jaundice levels to run into this issue. Although every single one of my babies had jaundice. I think every one of mine did too. (laughs) I think it's actually really, really common. And so if you're in a hospital that's just like, okay, jaundice, we're going to stick baby in NICU. And every time it seems to be the common course is four to seven days. So baby has borderline jaundice levels and then the hospital's standard protocol in many cases seems to be to immediately remove baby and put them in NICU for four to seven days. And so, you know, we're not here to really discuss jaundice or specifics of treating that. It's just, I think, an area that people should be aware of because it's one of the most common reasons that I see that a baby is put into NICU. Are there any other really common reasons? I think infant's blood sugar could be another common reason that they might separate the baby and the mom. Yeah, I've heard of, you know, some respiratory distress or maybe the APGAR score. Okay, yeah. They do APGAR stores here. They do, but like you were saying in Betsy's interview, it's not communicated in the same way. I think in America, it's just like, and your baby has an APGAR score of whatever, you know, it's like getting a test score or something almost. But here it's more like baby's healthy or baby's not. And you don't necessarily know the specifics of what they're looking at. Yeah. But I think that they do look at the same things. Yeah. I've heard of some moms where they're like, oh, there was just some a little concern. So they just brought the baby to the NICU to observe. And in those situations, it seems to be only be for like a day, right? Mm-hmm. Some reasons that a baby, like an older baby, might be put into NICU. Of course, accidents are pretty rare, but can happen. Seizures. So a baby that's being observed for seizures would often be put into NICU for observation. And of course, if there was ever a breathing issue, that would be another Mm -hmm. reason. So any time a baby gets sick or something comes up that the hospital's not quite sure about, they want to put them into NICU where they can be observed 24-7. So, And like you said, unfortunately, the system here is just not set up to support the volume of people and the coming and going of multiple people in and out. And so in general, it's a pretty firm 
rule in most hospitals, especially public hospitals, that parents would not be allowed into the NICU. Yeah. If you are at a really high level international hospital, there may be exceptions to that. I know that they work a lot harder to keep mom and baby together, but... Yeah, like I said, as a general rule in China, it seems like most babies, if they're put in NICU, are fully separated from the parents. Yeah. Something else that we forgot to mention is if a baby is born premature. Yes, of course. I think depending on how big the baby is will also determine this. A baby born under 2,000 grams is a small baby. And so those babies definitely would be put into the NICU. Yeah, so smaller than 2,000 grams or before 37 weeks would be pretty standard that they would go to NICU for at least a period of time for observation. Yeah, I think probably there are different rules. Mm -hmm. I just was talking to a mom today whose baby they were concerned with that was under 2,500 grams, which I think I have heard that little gray area between 2,000 and 2,500 that it, it would depend on how the baby's doing as to whether or not they would send the baby to the NICU or not. And of course, what hospital you're at, what protocols do they have and what they need to follow. Mm -hmm. Those all will play a factor in whether your baby would get sent to the NICU or could stay with you. Yeah. So Jacqueline, in regards to breastfeeding specifically, what are the concerns about mom and baby being separated? Yeah. So those early days and weeks is all about establishing a milk supply. And so to have a baby with you suckling at the breast is the best and easiest way to establish that milk supply. So ideally, the mother and baby are together. And when the baby indicates wanting to nurse that the mother will respond and bring the baby to the breast and then uh, the body will start to respond and start increasing their volume of milk. So around 25 weeks, the mother's body starts to make colostrum. And that's there in case of an early term birth. Mm -hmm. And then once the baby is born and the placenta is delivered, that drop in, in progesterone actually makes the prolactin increase in the body and that causes the milk, the mature milk, to start flowing. So in the first 48, 72 hours, the mom has colostrum, but it's a very thick and not very high in volume milk. And it's often referred to as liquid gold. This is very important to help establish the baby's gut. Mm -hmm. The colostrum helps clean out the baby's digestion system, get out all that meconium. You know, it's also a laxative. So it, when the baby drinks that colostrum, it cleans out all of that meconium. The baby is that black poo in those first couple days. <laughs> Tar, black tar. Um, funny story. My husband had never changed a diaper. And my daughter was born. And I was like, I think I was on the phone to America. And the baby was crying. And I was like, oh, she needs her diaper changed. And so I'm like, you can do it here. You know, his <laughs> first diaper. And he's like, it doesn't know what he's doing. And it's just tar. It's like, glue. <laughs> it really like, is. What is this stuff? <laughs> 
Side story. <laughs> a girl, I feel like, is not a big deal, but a boy is really hard to clean the meconium the first time. Yeah. And one of the best tips I was given was to take Vaseline to the hospital and like put it on the baby's testicles as soon as they're born so that once they do poop the meconium, it's much easier to clean off. So there's your little random tip of the day. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, so going back to the colostrum is really good for clearing this out. It's because it's a laxative, right? It helps baby to really get that moving. Yes, yes. Yeah, And that does tie into the jaundice that we were just talking about. Like you need the breast milk. Well, you need the colostrum or ideally you have the colostrum to really get the baby's digestive system going in order to push out that meconium and all of the bilirubin and prevent high levels of jaundice. At least that's my understanding. Yeah. So anyways, going back to separation and the baby and the mom, ideally the mom and baby are together and the mom is bringing the baby to the breast frequently. And this frequent sucking at the breast early and often, that is telling the body, the body is responding and milk will start slowly increasing. The first couple breastfeeding sessions, the baby is only getting drops, but that's okay because the baby is so small and we're trying to clean out the system. But then the more the baby feeds, then the body starts responding and the milk increases. Now, when we don't have a baby, we don't have that baby suckling at the breast, stimulating the breast, telling the body, hey, the baby is now outside and we need to provide milk for this baby. I remember you kind of explaining it to me that like the prolactin, so when the placenta comes out of the body, when it's released from the uterus and there's an immediate progesterone drop, and then that allows the prolactin to spike. And that is what initially causes the beginning of the shift from colostrum to the mature milk. And whether a mom has the baby with her or whether the baby unfortunately is stillborn or any reason that mom might not have the baby or you know, maybe there's just desire to not breastfeed. There could be many different reasons why a mom doesn't breastfeed. They will still have that transition to mature milk. Yeah. And that usually happens about three to four days after birth. But the amount of frequency of stimulation of the breast through the baby nursing frequently, and usually it's every hour or every two hours for those first few days or a few weeks actually, determines how much milk the mom's body makes. So the drop in progesterone and the spike in prolactin is what causes the shift, but the frequency of nursing is what causes the capacity essentially for milk. Yes. Side note, actually that first milk, so we've got the colostrum and then we have the mature milk. There is technically, uh, it's called transition milk. Yes. So it's kind of a mix of the colostrum and the mature milk. So it still tends to have like a more yellowy color. Yeah. As opposed to around two weeks is when the transition usually completes. And now you've got like that pure white milk around like two weeks. Oh, okay. So the full mature milk is more about two weeks. I just always find really interesting is as you're going through that transition, especially around day three or four, I remember seeing some milk ducts would still be like pure colostrum and some would be more mature milk. So like as it was coming out, it would be both. Yeah. A mix. Yeah. I always thought that was really interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So since we are in this situation where the mom is separated from the baby, we want to start pumping or expressing frequently Mm -hmm. so that we can establish that good supply like you were explaining. So in those first few days when you just have the colostrum, like I said, it's not very high volume. It's it's low, small amounts. And so using a pump isn't going to be useful in collecting the milk. So often we'll suggest using hand expression to collect the colostrum. But also, I think it's important to use the pump as well so that you can continue to get that nipple stimulation. So especially in those first few days, I think you need to be doing a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be super long, but just being consistent. You know, so we talked about these hormones that prolactin, it raises, it stays high for, you know, a few hours, but then it starts to dip. But that is then typically the baby, or in this case, a pump stimulating the breast will then cause that prolactin to rise again. Okay. And that's what we need. We need to have that prolactin to stay high to keep the milk flowing. Mm -hmm. Along with that, again, it doesn't really apply to you being separated, but I thought this was really interesting and I'd never heard somebody describe it this way. When the baby is in the womb, it's almost like they're on a IV drip. So they're getting a continuous flow of nutrition. And then once they're born, that flow is like cut off (laughs) and their stomachs are super, super tiny. And suddenly they don't have this IV drip anymore, essentially. And so they have to adjust to having larger stomachs that can take a large capacity. And so having those frequent, but very, very tiny amounts is incredibly important to make that shift from continuous IV drip to you know, a toddler four or five meals a day, right? And that's a whole process that they have to go through over the first couple years of life. Right. Yeah. Going from that constant input of nutrition to now having to depend on someone else to provide that for them, right? So that's why, you know, they're learning to go a little bit longer, right? And so it's that's why it's super important in those first few days and first few weeks that the baby gets nutrition every couple of hours. Mm-hmm. So with trying to establish a milk supply from the beginning, um, back to the subject, right, that we keep getting off on. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, so like, it's kind of like mom's body and baby's body are made to work together, right? Yeah. So baby needs it in this very frequent, small amounts, but mom's body needs it to increase the prolactin over and over and over again. So yeah, yeah. like you're saying, now we don't have baby providing that input or that stimulus to the mom's body. So now we're trying to substitute a pump and hand expression for that. Yeah. So you're going to want to start pumping. Ideally, you would have had at least like that first hour, hopefully, maybe not. But if you could have at least that first, a little bit of skin to skin with the baby, that would be awesome. But if you didn't, 
it's okay. But then you, you know, if you're recovering from a C-section, trying to keep an eye a little bit on the clock, you don't want to wait longer than six hours. By six hours, you want to start consistently stimulating the breasts, okay. you know, with hand expression and pumping. And ideally when you're pumping, you're also using your hands. There's been studies to show that um, the combination of pumping with an electric pump in this case, you definitely want a really high grade. If the hospital has a pump, that would be ideal. I don't find in China very often that they have that, unfortunately, but thankfully there is Taobao and delivery. And so you could, if you don't have a pump, you can order one pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And in those days, just doing hand expression or finding something that you can borrow until you get your own, you know, you're going to want a double electric pump that can can, you know, stimulate that'll cut your pumping time in half because then instead of just doing one breast at a time, you're doing both at the same time, which again can play into helping to keep that prolactin level high by doing both breasts at the same time. So yeah, being just consistent of expressing, um, you're going to want to do a minimum of eight times a day, ideally more like 10 to 12. Okay. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a set schedule. Like it doesn't have to be every two hours. You could do every hour, two, two and a half hours. You don't want to go longer than four to five hours, especially at night. You don't want to be skipping that night feed or the night pumping session in this case. A tip for that is that it's been shown that if a mother wakes up naturally, the pumping session will go a little bit better and they'll be able to collect milk, you know, a little bit easier. The trick is, especially in those early days, is you're so exhausted, right? So you kind of need to set an alarm. I know there are some alarms that can kind of go off of your your sleep patterns of, okay, okay you're kind of in a like a, a restless or the REM or so then it would kind of go off at that time, not going longer than five hours. Um, even at night. Yeah. And then I think that another thing to to remember, like I've said, the volume will be very small. Yes. But it will increase. And so not to be discouraged if in those first few days you're only getting like five milliliters. That's okay because that's actually what the baby needs at that time. As the days go on and you're consistently pumping, you will start to see an increase but again, always check and make sure that your pump is put together properly. You want to make sure that the flange is fitted properly. You don't want your nipple to be rubbing on the side or super, super loose. Those two extremes are a sign that the flange is not fitted properly to your breast. So you would want to look at trying to getting a different size, whether smaller or larger. So the phalange part is the kind of funnel-shaped part, correct? The part that goes directly on your breast? Yes. I think that another part to think about in this is what are you going to put the colostrum or the milk into? And so one of the convenient things about hospitals here is there's usually some sort of store where you can buy just about everything within the hospital. And so the amounts in the beginning are often so, so tiny that you can ask for a syringe, like without a needle, of course, like just the plastic part to collect the milk in. And I think maybe that would be a little bit more encouraging than trying to pump a few drops into like a big cup or something, right? Yeah. 
if the thing that you are collecting the milk in is five to 10 milliliters and then you're filling that, I think it gives kind of a psychological like, wow, look, I made an achievement. Yeah. Whereas if you have a big baby bottle and you're trying to collect in it and it looks like 10 drops in the bottom of it, that's really quite discouraging. Yeah. Or could be quite discouraging. Yeah. You should always feel pleased with yourself. Yeah. Any drops that you get is amazing. Yes. Exactly. And to remember that even if you're not getting drops or more than drops, just to remember that the stimulation is what's important as far as your body. Of course, ideally, you would be able to collect the milk and actually take it to the NICU and have the NICU give the baby the milk. But that may not be reality for a myriad of different reasons. Maybe the baby isn't in a situation where they can take milk or maybe the hospital's protocols are just not set up for that. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of hospitals don't accept even mother's own milk for their baby. But it is definitely something that I would encourage everyone to ask and try and even push. Yeah. Like if they said no the first time, try again. Maybe try again on a different shift and see if a different doctor or a nurse would accept it. But if not, like even just collecting it and having it, maybe you would use it in the future or not. But if you're hoping to be able to breastfeed when you are reunited, it is key to make sure that you establish that good supply so that when you are together, you do have the right amount of milk for however old your baby is when you are reunited. Mm, mm -hmm. There's one more tip that I wanted to say about trying to collect milk. I just was reading a study that they actually saw an increase in the amount of milk that a mother collected when she was listening to a meditation. Okay. So like trying to set the stage in a relaxing, you know, like listening to smooth music or like trying smooth. Is that a way? Like smooth music? (laughs) I think so, like smooth jazz. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listening to calming music and the trying to relax and, you know, going through some meditation or, or whatever it is that helps you to relax. Mm-hmm. Doing that, they saw a big increase in, in the milk that was collected. On top of that, if they had set the mood, you know, listening to calming music and they had a picture of their baby it even increased even more. And so if if it's possible, sometimes, you know, a nurse is super kind and they will like take a picture of your baby and send you. That could really also help. I know if you are one that you've been separated from your baby, it is stressful. Mm-hmm. And this stress is not, it's contraindicative of producing milk. So my heart just like goes out to, to you Yes, absolutely. But yeah, if you could get like a picture of your baby and just, you know, try and relax and think of, hey, this is a way that you can help your baby. Even hopefully they'll take the milk and they can give the baby the milk that you've collected. But even not like if you're thinking when you are reunited, you're setting yourself up to be able to breastfeed and have that supply so that you can at least try and and establish breastfeeding once you are united together. Yeah, I was going to speak to just the kind of emotional side of all of this of being separated from your baby. So you've had the baby inside of you for, you know, seven, eight, nine months. And now you're separated. And it's I think a lot of moms can feel really at a loss of like, what do I do now? Like, 
what does my day look like? And having a purpose and a way of meeting a need for their baby, even like we said, even if you can't get that milk actually to the baby, but knowing that down the line that that is going to be helpful for establishing breastfeeding, if that is what you hope to do, then having a way, a practical thing that you can be doing can be really, really helpful to help with the emotions on both sides and bring your partner. If he's in the picture, like bring your partner into it too. Like let him be a part of it. And you know, you can do it together or divide tasks. Like he could help with sterilizing the pump or whatever, collecting the actual like syringes or bottles or baggies of milk or, you know, using it as a practical thing that you can be doing during the days that you're separated. Yeah, we should probably touch on a little bit about collecting and how to clean the pump. Okay. So we're talking about babies that are, they're probably sick, right? Yeah. Especially if they're premature, we want to be more careful. If you have a full term baby and, you know, you're pumping for you, you go back to work or something. Yeah. You don't need to be as careful. But when we're working with premature babies or sick babies, then um, we definitely want to decrease the risk of exposing them to bacteria. So you're you're going to want to make sure that your pump parts are clean and that you're catching the milk in a sterile container, whether that's, you know, like I'm sure they have the syringes that they could be sterile. And I think some of the milk collecting bags are sterile. Mm -hmm. But even if in those first few times that or, you know, you collect something and it's not sterile, you totally can freeze it and use it down the road when your baby is well. And that isn't a huge concern. And Medela and Lassino, and I'm sure there's local brands too, have specific like milk collection bags that are made sterile. So it's not just a Ziploc, right? It's a sterile bag that you can order on Taobao or find at most import baby stores. If you have a good friend that can run down to the store and pick some up for you or order some on Taobao or anything else, they're pretty easy to find. But while you're in the hospital for those first few days, then I think sometimes these things can be hard because it's maybe unfamiliar to the hospital staff that you want to do this. Yeah. And so communication can be a difficult thing. But I, I don't know, I'm having a hard time picturing a place where you wouldn't be able to find some sort of sterile container that you could use. Yeah. Because hospitals have to have sterile containers for various different things. Yeah. But like you said, if you're not able to get a sterile container, freeze it and use it when the baby's older and more stable. Or if you don't, then that's okay too, because you know that just the stimulation of the breast is going to be helpful for establishing the milk supply. Yeah. Okay, so Jacqueline, mom and baby have been separated and mom's been doing the frequent pumping and hand expressing and, you know, looking at pictures and all of these things. But now she has the opportunity to have baby back in person. What does it look like to shift from pumping for so long and possibly baby having been on a bottle, quite likely having been on a bottle, which has a fast flow? What does that look like to adjust back to mom and baby together? Yeah, it definitely depends on how the NICU was feeding the baby. I think most hospitals you will find that they will give bottles, but I, I was surprised. There was a mom and baby I worked with and the hospital, they were separated for a long while and the hospital did not give a bottle. And honestly, that transition for them, although it wasn't easy, it went much smoother than I anticipated. Hmm. When a baby takes a bottle, it uses completely different muscles than when a baby is sucking at the breast. 
Okay. And so they have to learn a different way to suck and coordinate their breathing and suck and the tongue moves a completely different way on the breast than on the bottle. And so now if we're talking about this baby that's never been at the breast now has to learn a new skill. Mm-hmm. And so I think also remembering that for yourself and being patient with yourself and the baby that this is a new skill that they have to learn, you know, whether that is minutes or hours after they're born or weeks after they're born, it's still a new skill. It will take time. So ideally, you start with, you know, you want to keep the baby fed. So however the hospital has been doing it, you want to kind of transition from that, depending on how old the baby is, how much the baby has been getting, how the hospital has been feeding the baby will then determine kind of how you move towards breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. Um, but always making sure that the baby is fed and you can work towards then getting the baby back to the breast. Start with skin to skin. That is the most important. The bonding, the baby getting used to your smell, also all the hormones that get released. It also can help the baby's instincts to return of breastfeeding, you know, smelling the mom, smelling the milk. Again, like depending on whether they they were given formula or mother's own milk, the baby will have to get used to that new smell if they haven't had that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, if the baby is getting a bottle, that you're now able to replace it now that you're together with mother's own milk. So transitioning into that. But yeah, I think taking the stress away from, okay, now we're together and now we're going to breastfeed and it's going to be perfect. It might go that way, but it's quite possible that it won't. So Mm -hmm establishing this relationship of your breasts are a comfort place. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, a happy place. You know, you don't want to add stress for trying to make the baby who's now hungry to take your breasts. So slowly work into that, you know, doing the skin to skin and then like establishing that this is a good thing. This is a happy place. (laughs) Hopefully the baby will then start to show interest in trying to latch. Some helpful things that you could do to do that is dripping milk onto the nipple so that the baby can taste it um, and smell it. And hopefully that will entice the baby to try and suck and start licking and then, you know, start sucking. If the baby was given a bottle, maybe using a nipple shield. I'm not a huge fan of nipple shields. They can cause a lot more problems than they solve. But in a situation like this where a baby may have been given a bottle and prefers that, Mm. it can be a nice bridge. You know, bottles aren't skin. The nipple teats are, you know, that plasticky. (laughs) So it can be a good way to help the baby, you know, oh, I can latch on this. This is kind of familiar. And then learning that and then you can slowly remove the nipple shield. Something else to keep in mind is like, again, if the baby was bottle fed or, or whatever, The flow at the breast is much different than anything that they will have experienced. And again, like this talking to a mom who has been able to establish a good supply or maybe to the mom that wasn't, you can still, 
get baby back to the breast, you can use something called a lactation supplementer. SNS is another abbreviation, the supplementer nursing system. And so what this is, is like a little tube that is placed along the mom's breast by the nipple. The end is at the nipple and it's in a bottle or of some sort of, you know, hopefully the mother's milk, but maybe it's formula. But then the baby can latch onto the breast and then get milk flow through the supplementary nursing system. This can help with the a flow that the baby needs to learn, or maybe a baby is struggling with the mother's flow at the breast. This could be a good transition to that. And then also, you know, maybe the mom is lacking some supply. This is also a great tool to use to be able to breastfeed and make sure that the baby is getting the amount of milk that is needed. Whenever I think of these alternate methods for feeding a baby, whether it be the SNS system or syringe feeding, all of that, it reminds me of Luis Roy's artwork. So you guys can look up notbroken.world on Instagram where she has her artwork posted and her goal in this latest series is to depict breastfeeding or infant feeding in many different ways that it can look like. And so they're digital drawings, they're beautiful, but she has different pictures of these different things. So I just wanted to put that in there. It's notbroken.world on Instagram that you can go and see some drawings of what you know, lots of times we have in our minds like a, what it looks like to have the perfect breastfeeding experience. And I don't think that that happens for many of us. And so her idea is to kind of widen our view of what does breastfeeding look like. And of course, you can also just Google what is an SNS system or. <laughs> yeah. And she has a great picture showing other alternative methods. Yes. Bottle is never my first choice of supplementing a baby when breastfeeding is the goal for reasons that I've already talked about. But she depicts like the cup feeding, mm-hmm. which is really great, and the finger feeding and syringe feeding. And then, yeah, she has the picture of the SNS. And- you were talking about no matter what the baby was fed, it's going to be a different flow. And again, going back to just what baby's experiencing, when a baby is sucking from a bottle, it has a steady flow. Whether it's a fast flow or a slow flow, it's a really steady flow. Whereas mom's body, when we make breast milk, it has not a steady flow. So when baby initially starts breastfeeding or when the breast is initially stimulated, mom will usually experience what's called a letdown, which is like a lot of milk that comes all at once. And then as baby drinks, that kind of fills the thirst and then it's the flow kind of slows down. And then if baby's like really hungry and nurses for a long time, sometimes you'll get even a second letdown. And so it's like really fast and then slow for a while and then maybe another boost of milk. But a bottle's always the same. And so just one of those things to remember that baby is experiencing something entirely new if they haven't breastfed before that really can't be simulated with a bottle or a syringe or anything else. It's just a different experience. So if a baby was given a bottle or if a baby is needed a bottle because, you know, mother supply hasn't quite reached what is needed, I would highly encourage using a paste bottle method. And it's best if you can watch it. So I would encourage you to 
check out how a paste bottle feeding goes. And all of these things that we're talking about, we are going to have links in the show notes with some resources. And through those resources, then there will be links for other videos and stuff too. So don't listen to us talk about this for 30 or 40 minutes or however long this episode is and then think that's everything. Like hopefully you're using this as a launching board to then go in and learn more about each of these things. Yeah. But sorry, you were talking about the paste baby feeding. Yes. Can you give us just a little overview? Yeah. So you want to have the baby typically, you know, in my mind, when I see bottle feeding baby, baby's laying in my arms in the cradle, what we call the cradle hold. And then I put the bottle and it's like, basically the baby is laying almost flat on its back with a bottle just pouring into their mouth. With the paste bottle feeding, the baby should be sitting up at a 45 degree angle and the parent should support the baby around the You don't want to grab the baby's head, but supporting the head with your hands, your fingers around the bottom of the baby's head and holding around the shoulders. So the baby is sitting up in this like 45 degree angle. And then the bottle should be a 90 degree angle to the baby. So parallel to the floor, facing the baby. And so, yeah, there might be a little bit of air in the nipple and that's okay. If the baby drinks a little bit of air, just go ahead and burp the baby. You can work through that. But yeah, you're going to want to initiate like the baby is at the breast. You want the baby to open up their mouth. You don't want to force the nipple into the mouth. You want to like what we do at the breast is we tickle the baby's nose with the nipple And so we touch the baby's nose and then the lips and then the chin with the nipple. So the same thing with the bottle. You want to kind of stimulate that so the baby's mouth opens. And when the baby has a big, wide open mouth, just like when we're trying to latch at the breast, when the baby's mouth is open wide, then you would put the bottle nipple in the baby's mouth and then the baby should start to suck. And you want the baby to control the flow of the milk. When the baby needs a break, you know, pulling the bottle out so that the baby can catch its breath. This is something that a baby has to learn at the breast is to to organize the suck, swallow, breathe rhythm. Suck, swallow, breathe, suck, swallow, breathe. And so we're trying to replicate this with the pace bottle feeding. You want the baby to suck, swallow, and then take a breath. And so pulling back, taking breaks helps the baby to to do that as well. Another reason why we do this is that slowing down the feeding with a bottle also allows time for the stomach to communicate with the brain. Oh, okay. And so a baby can drink, 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 and drink. I mean, it happens to us as adults, right? Like we make our plate, this huge plate, and we're like, oh, I want to eat this, <laughs> this, this, and this. And then we're like eating, eating, and eating. And then we're like, oh my goodness, I just ate too much, like more than I really can, (laughs) really should have eaten. It's similar to the baby, right? It takes a little bit for the stomach to, to respond and tell the brain, oh, I'm full. I don't need any more milk. Mm. So we, this is another reason why we want the bottle feeding to go slower so that communication can happen. Another thing with paste bottle feeding to remember is that a baby has this reflex to suck. 
and they need a lot of sucking time. And at the breast, the baby does get a lot of sucking, just like you were saying, Ruth, like the flow changes. So the baby can be sucking and not a lot of milk is coming. And that's okay because the baby needs that sucking. It doesn't necessarily need all of that milk all the time. That's why, okay, now there's a lot of milk and now it's, you know, slower. But the bottle, again, like you said, has this steady flow. So the baby is needing more sucking, but doesn't necessarily need all that milk. So this is why we want to make this the feeding go slower, more like the same length as a breastfeeding session. Yeah, so I think that it's important to remember that that is what is more physiological and normal for the baby and to not get caught up of like, oh, but if I do it this other way where I have the baby flat on its back and I'm just kind of pouring the milk in, like baby does fine, you know, fine as far as we're like just seeing in that moment, right? And it's so much faster. And then I can get on to the other things that I need to be doing. But to remember that going slow is important and can be helpful for baby. I hadn't heard that about giving the brain time to process how much the stomach was getting. That's really interesting. Mm. It's hard. It's hard work when you're separated from yeah. the baby, both like while you're separated and then reuniting is it's just it's hard. I also wanted to say that I just don't feel like this is the road that somebody should walk alone. So if you can, in whatever capacity it might be, reach out to a lactation consultant or a lactation counselor to walk you through this because there's just going to be moments where whether it's emotionally or physically or mentally straining or you just are getting too many opinions from different people or whatever, having someone whose professional experience is trained for this type of situation is just absolutely invaluable. So don't try to walk this by yourself. Reach out for help, you know, whether it be in the forums or the WeChat groups or ideally a one-on-one -on -one with a lactation consultant is really, really important. Yeah. And you're not alone. Even I'm sure like if you're in our Having a Baby in China WeChat group, there is another mom in there, another dad, another parent who has been in your shoes with a baby that's in the NICU. Mm -hmm. So reach out and find that person or I'm sure there's several people and you can encourage each other or cry together. <laughs> For sure. In addition to that, you know, reach out to us either through the WeChat groups or through our Instagram, which is having a baby in China. Leave comments and discussion like directly on. We'll have an advertisement or a, I don't know what you call them, an Instagram post. I'm so old school with what all the verbiage is. But anyways, we will have something on Instagram and in the comments, you know, let's discuss this. We want to hear your thoughts, what you found challenging. If you went through this situation or if you have questions about it, or maybe you're going through this mm -hmm. situation, again, reach out, whether it be in the WeChat groups or Instagram, or if you have anything you want to share or ask us, please do that. And we will, again, yeah. have resources in the show notes. So check those out. Don't listen to this and stop here. Seek more support and help. Yeah. And I want to say there's a lot more to cover on this subject. We just briefly skimmed the surface, but I definitely want to share that in the notes, there'll be a hand expression video that's excellent to practice either in the first few days or as you continue. And then I'll, I'll definitely have, you know, some notes on the hands-on pumping, which is using an electric breast pump along with your hands that can be really helpful. 
I really like this guide from the Children's Health of Orange County in California Children's Hospital. It's a quick, easy question form of how to establish a milk supply when you're separated from your baby. Also, anything on kellymom.com is great. And Jack Newman has a lot of information and resources out there as well. And of course, you can reach out to Ruth or myself either on Instagram or our email is, is our name at havingababyinchina.com. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. And Jacqueline, thanks for discussing this difficult topic with me for our listeners. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Well, it's always a pleasure. And until next time. Yeah, next time. See you. See you. Oh, that was a big firework. Did you hear that? Oh, it made me jump. <laughs> Did I say sex expression? I meant to say, I, I thought it was an expression, but expression sounds weird. I think that was good. Yeah. It'll be great, as long as we don't laugh a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> don't use that one. <laughs> <laughs>